Lines.com podcast, coming to you from Vero Beach, Florida, and Marion, Massachusetts. Hosted by Ed Chenefy, this is the podcast that researches and investigates the club management and facility side of our business. Hello, and welcome to the Beyond the Baselines podcast. I'm Ed Chenefy, I'm your host, and it's a pleasure to bring you each week the news and views from the country club industry that we serve. This week, I'm humbled to have with us the maestro, director of tennis, and former president of the USPTA, the United States Professional Tennis Association, Harry Gilbert. Harry is a consummate professional in the industry, having been a seasonal director of tennis for over 20 years, going back and forth between New York and Florida. Harry has built up not only a following in the industry, but also with his many members. Director of tennis at Wacabuck Country Club for over 20 years, he has there created one of the most prolific and successful programs in the country, placing juniors at Harvard and at Southern Cal, just for starters, from a country club program. But the adult programming is just as strong. There are no weaknesses in his fulfilling the role of director. Handpicked to be director at the Albany Resort, one of the most exclusive resorts in all the world, Harry has seen it all. From fame to mundane, Harry is simply as good as it gets in our industry. Working with golf legends and owners of Albany, Tiger Woods and Ernie Els, Harry has created a wonderful destination tennis facility shortly after the creation of the Bahamian Resort. We are very proud to announce that Harry has joined our team of consultants here at Beyond the Baselines and is already working with us as one of our leading experienced directors to help other clubs. He's already been a valuable part of discussions and he serves so well as our personal and human knowledge base. But now, the former president of the USPTA and former coach for my slice backhand, here's Harry. So this week on the line, we've got Harry Gilbert, a great director of tennis, a director at my home club where I grew up. He's been there for 22 years. He's going into his 23rd year at Wacabuck Country Club, little hamlet of the town of Lewisburg up there in Westchester County, New York. But Harry, great to have you on the line and thanks for being here. Ed, it's my pleasure. Look forward to it. Oh, me too. What a summer we've had. Uh, I, I talked to you before this summer of COVID and you uh, call it correctly. You said, Ed, I think this could be a very busy summer. How was your summer? How did you pivot? How did it, how did it work out in the end? Yeah, I remember that conversation, I think, when we were both heading up and we were, mm-hmm. we were wondering what it was going to be like. Uh, like a lot of, of men and women in the industry, we had a great summer. Um, it was literally our busiest summer would have expected back in April. But right. you know, it, our club did a fabulous job of keeping everyone safe. We really were careful with masking, temperature checking, uh, social distancing. And um, truthfully, I think some of, the, some of the families couldn't do some of the things they maybe would have done. So we had a, a tremendous summer. We couldn't do some of our traditional events like the member guests and the pro-am because our club limited our guests. So it was mm-hmm. a summer for the members just to come out, play a lot of tennis, be involved in our program. We, uh, we changed a few things as the way we did group classes, et cetera. But uh, I actually think it made us better because you know we really had to focus on when we did a group class, keeping every ch- uh, child or the adults engaged and moving. I think we will be better for it, quite frankly, um, at least in the way we were able to manage our groups. Yeah, it was funny. We did uh, we did a similar thing. I mean, we had talked about this and, and we went into family only clinics, which was quite a challenge for 
for even, you know, experienced instructors. You might have a seven an 11 and a 14 year old in one family clinic. It was fantastic because we all were in this together. The 14 year old would, would work with the seven year old with orange balls. Then we'd move up to green dots for the 11 year old, work them out. Then we'd move it up to yellow ball for the 14 year old. So it was really, it was really an intriguing summer. And I think the experienced pros uh, got better for it, as you say. Yeah, I, I think you might have shared with me that exact example. I think, uh, you know, most of the clubs and, and most everyone in the business did it the same way at the beginning. You know, I think we all were, were taking every precaution and it started out, right, just family. So, so we did some family lessons like that as well. And that, that's interesting. We, I can remember a couple, maybe not, maybe not as many as you, but where we had to alternate balls. Um, but we got creative. And um, I think everybody really thought of the club, not only the tennis, but the club itself as a safe haven where they could come out and, and feel that, you know, they were safe, but the kids could enjoy what was as close to a typical summer as you can get. And of course, Ed, you growing up at Walkabuck, you know, it's a pretty special place. We don't have a pool. Of course, we have our lakefront and mm -hmm. we weren't able to do our traditional lake camp because of the, the numbers by the state, but we did a scaled down version but I know the members really enjoyed going down there on their own, getting out on the lake and, and just experiencing as close to a summer uh, as maybe they could have hoped. And this summer, I'm sure you the same. We had so many members, parents particularly, come up to us and say, you really made it for us and for our children. Um, we, were, we were in April. We didn't have any idea what we were going to be able to do. So it was great. And um, I think we'll carry over some of that same momentum because I think what some of the parents realize is how much they can accomplish or, or they can do by, by staying home, quite frankly. Uh, I don't mean, you know, home in quarantine, but home <laughs> in, uh, versus, versus traveling, et cetera. So, uh, you know, we're just starting our pre-planning for next year, but we expect to be very busy again. Yeah, we, we do too. We do too. And yes, Waka Buck is a special place. And that brings me up to the, the question, why Wakabuck? Why did you start? Uh, why did you take your, you know, take the job there 23 years ago? You know, we met there. Uh, I, want, I don't want to say how young I was when we <laughs> first met, but uh, I've had a few great lessons from you, Harry. What, what's the story between you and Wakabuck? How'd you find it? And, and, and how has it changed over the 23 years you've been there? Well, that's a great question. And that's funny because I can, rem I can still remember my interview. Uh, the tennis chairman at that time asked me the same question. He goes, why walk a buck and why now? And um, the, the, the answer I gave him, which is, which is, which is the one that, that I'll give you, is I wanted to get back to family tennis. I had two children. When I started walk with my daughter was nine and my son was five. Mm -hmm. And I had been at a club called Plantation Bay in Florida for years. And it's a typical you know, Florida country club community with uh, early, early retirees for the most part back then you know, golf, tennis, swimming, um, but we didn't have a lot of kids. I was able to do a summer program, which brought kids, but primarily it was an adult community. And interestingly enough, in 1998, there were wildfires in Florida, which uh, is an odd thing, but the, the air quality was so bad that we didn't have much of a summer because in all good conscience, we couldn't bring kids out in this smoke-filled environment. So our summer wasn't great. And I felt at that time, I think I had been at Plantation Bay for maybe 14, 13 years. Um, and I, I was ready for a bit of a change. So I, I decided I would, I would consider a different position. 
And I actually got offered a job. I, I started, you know, looking around, not, not um, you know, intently, but, but keeping my eyes open. And I, I interviewed and got offered a position at Hilton Head uh, in right. August of, of 98. And I couldn't make the deal. It, it just didn't work out. Um, but it was, you know, it was an okay experience going through the process. So I didn't accept that. And then uh, the Walkabuck job actually was advertised. And um, a name that you'll know, Len Samard, my great friend, had just finished his first summer at the New Canaan uh, Field Club. And he mentioned to me how, how much fun it was, a change of pace. He was coming up from Boca, where he was working in the winters. The members were great. The weather was great. So I, uh, I opened my mind to a seasonal job and applied for Walkabuck uh, and, started my, and, and got the job and started my first summer in 1999. But, but, but honestly, the answer that I gave them and, and the one that I was looking for a bit of a change, truthfully, but also I wanted to be with more families and more kids. And as you know, uh, Walkabuck is a very family club. Yeah, and you, you made it even more of a family club. I mean, people have, have come out in droves for your tennis programming, which is fantastic. Some of the best players have come out of there. You know, you, you've got Nick Crystal. Uh, he went to Southern Cal, I think. Um, but some some great tennis over the years as well with the with the older members, which of which now I am one. Um, but how do you keep it so fresh? I mean, your energy level is enormous. I've seen you on court. I've seen you energized off the court in the shop behind the desk you're going into your 23rd year how do you stay so energized how do you freshen it up each year for for those of us that have these seasonal jobs for a long time how do you maintain your energy how do you do it well um i think i'm blessed and cursed a little bit (laughs) in other words i i wake up early uh with a lot of energy and, and I'm looking forward to each day and what I can accomplish, whether, you know, be in my job or in my, my personal relationships. Um, so I, I, I think that one thing, I just have the, the energy and the spirit to, uh, to, to, to attack the day. And, um, you know, it carries over, I think, to, to my work at, at the clubs that I've been at. But I will say this, when you ask about the seasonal, I think this will, this will be my 23rd summer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess if you did the math, that equates to maybe what, seven and a half, eight years, if you take it four and a half or five months time, you know, um, right. when, when people would ask me, uh, are you, are you disappointed to leave or excited? That, that made it one thing about the seasonal club life, which, you know, is you're excited to go, you work hard for the season. And then mm-hmm. when it's time to end the season's ending, um, the, the, the events are over, you know, the weather's starting to change. So you leave. And in my case, typically I would go back to Florida and then I do the Florida season and I'd be super ready to come back. So I think, I think I, I personally just have a lot of energy. I'm, I'm, I'm always, always willing to do the extra, um, and, and try and try and work hard for my members. I really believe in, in service. And I think, uh, I think customer service is one of my strong points. And I just, I just sort of think sometimes people are, are right for the service industry and maybe they're not. And I think that I am. But I do think that it's been um, a, little bit, a little bit easier, quite frankly, to, to know you have a start and a finish. You know, you got you to get ready to go hard because the, uh, the summer season, as you know, uh, particularly last summer, but, but most summers, uh, particularly in the, in the meat of it from, you know, late June to, to mid-August, is really, really intense. It's, you know, it's, it's seven days a week for the most part, long days. 
and you have to love that. And, and I, I always have, and I, and I still do, quite frankly. I'm looking forward already to, uh, to next spring. I know you, you mentioned, and we're going to get to that. You mentioned you're already planning, but as a follow-up to this is you've kept your same head pro there. Um, and Angie, right? Yes. Angie McMahon. She is fantastic. She's been there for years. You know, how, how, how do you retain staff like that? I mean, you guys get along great. She's been a fantastic asset to walk about and, and, and now has, you know, as many followers probably as you do there. How did you retain her and, and keep her so, for so long? I don't know how many years she's been there, but it's been a while. Yeah, exactly. This will be her 13th summer. And, and one thing, which, which you also asked, how do we keep it fresh? Uh, one thing we do, the nature of, of the seasonal business is we, we do um, get new staff. And, and with new staff brings new ideas and new perspectives. So one other way that we're able to keep it fresh, we're able to, to entertain new ideas and new programs is, is they come with some of the new staff members. But I've always felt the continuity and the, you know, the familiarity with the membership is, is best. And in the jobs in the Northeast, you know, you tend to get um, young people who maybe are, are playing on their college team, they're just finishing, and, you know, they, they work the season and then sometimes they go on to full-time jobs. Sometimes they'll go, they'll, they'll leave tennis. They, they, they taught for us in the summers and then they go on to a different career. But probably because of my, um, my, my volunteer with the USPTA and, and certain, uh, certain experience uh, in the industry, I've always been able to retain and, and also therefore I can help some of the staff with their, with their winter season. So Angie's mm -hmm. been there 13 years and she's married and her husband uh, is based in New York City. So we were lucky to get Angie because she was a head pro in Colorado. And I advertised that year in the USPTA 13 years ago. A lot of times I don't because the network sort of brings them to us. That year, she, when she applied, she said the reason was because she was moving to New York to, to be with her then fiance and now her husband. You know, we're lucky enough that she is, is based in New York and um, she works in the, in, the, in the winter, she works indoors, but she doesn't work full time. So she's been there 13 years and, and we have a great staff. And I'm happy to say that I just uh, communicate with all of them in the last two weeks and they're all coming back. Lawrence will be, this will be his uh, seventh year. And he works for a great friend of mine, Jeff Cohen in, in Boca Raton. And um, Juan Navarro, this will be his third year, and he works for Louis Valentine in North Florida. So I'm able to reach out to my, to my fellow pros and colleagues and see if they have um, an, a seasonal job available because you know, they, they, they trust my recommendation. And then Alvaro Regalado is actually the number one ranked player in Division II in the country, and he's back um, at Columbus State, which is, I believe, also the number one uh, D2 school in the country, finishing his senior year, and then he'll be back as well. So we'll have our entire staff back. So I think we're able to, we're able to retain the staff for a couple of reasons. One, walk a buck. The members are great. It's a, it's a good working environment. The relationship that I'm able to build with them. And I also think because of, of my experience and, and probably connections and, in the industry, uh, I'm able to help them either either continue working seasonally with me or when it's time to get their 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 job, maybe their their first uh, head pro job or their full time job. I'm uh, I'm certainly connected enough to, to help. them. Yeah, it, it's funny. I you, 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 Angie was going to be in the industry. I guess she was at that point. And, and this summer I hired a, a female head pro um, 
who was coming from college tennis, but was kind of undecided. She was going to do her master's and she was coaching colleges while doing her master's. And uh, this summer she saw a different side of our business, I guess, you know, working at my club, Sipican and working with me and uh, decided halfway through the summer that she was really going to um, probably stay in our industry. And at that point I jumped and, and you probably know Jim Morton. Um, yes, of course. Said, yeah. You should, you should throw Jim Morton your resume and hence she's down at ocean reef now. Um, and, and Jim said, when can I release her for the summer? And I was like, you can wait until June 1st if you're that late. But <laughs> those, those kind of relationships in our business do help uh, retain staff. And, uh, and it's always nice to have a staff member decide that they want to be in the industry. Because a lot of times, as you said, you get a, 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 a junior or a senior coming out of college and they, they, they're doing it for a couple of years that, that, you know, to pass the time trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives. Um, and it's always nice to see one make that decision and that leap of faith to stay in our industry, which is fantastic. Uh, I, I really enjoy that. And of course, I don't know this, this young woman, but I, I think it's probably a little bit of a credit to you as well, that as opposed to just saying, OK, here's, here's your here's your teaching lessons. You know, go do a great job and have a good summer. You probably help mentor her a bit and show her, you know, other sides of the of the business, which uh, which I think good directors do. So good for you. And, and another great addition to our to our industry. I hope so. And uh, yes, and she's she's coming back. So I'm very happy about that. <laughs> exactly. Talking about uh, setting up for the year, setting up for the summer, you, you just mentioned that you're thinking has just started on it. You just started planning. Uh, I, too, am looking at my 2021 checklist. I, I create an actually typed list so I don't forget anything as I get older. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what does your where does your planning start? What do you start with and, and how does it uh, how does it progress through the, the, the January and, and February? That's a great question. Um, and, and I probably haven't really put a, 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 an actual timeline to it, but, but staffing first, of course. Mm-hmm. So with the pros that are coming back, I, I have a good feeling when they leave. You know, we have an exit interview and, um, and, and I have a good feeling. Literally of all the years, I think there's only been one or two times where I hadn't offered someone a job to come back. And one, one or two out of, gosh, 20 to 30 pros what weren't a great fit for the most part they all have and not all some are moving on there like we talked about but so in, in in at the end of the summer we have an exit interview and we talk about the next year and then the timeline is december 1st which is when i say okay i i'm gonna need i'm gonna need an answer and it can it, it, it can be no i don't want it to be no but i i like to have an answer and then sometimes if they're international and they're trying to figure out a little bit of their of their work visa or their their OB, mm-hmm. cpt which is seasonal type things that uh, college kids can do. We, we give it a little longer, but basically by the first of the year, we want them to, you know, to have signed their, their deals and be ready to go. And then after that, we, we and we also, Angie and I, ha- at the end of the summer, we do sort of a review on every program. Not, not only do we do it throughout the summer, but right. we at the end of the summer, what, what worked, what could be better. Now, last summer, as you know, we weren't able to do a lot of the events. So there's no, there's no summary of the program because we didn't have them, et cetera, et cetera. So we start looking at dates. We, we're a traditional summer club, as you well know, and might be listening to this, who, who work at summer clubs. You have to, you have to put a year's, of, uh, year's worth of events and activity into three and a half months, you know? You don't do that <laughs> in May or late August. So really, it's almost two and a half. You've got to have right. your, your traditional 
club championship, men's singles, men's doubles, women's singles, women's doubles, mixed doubles, et cetera. You want to have member guests. We have two women's member guests by level. We have a men's member guest. We have a mixed member guest. We have a men's and women's pro-am. We have a, uh, an open doubles tournament, which we're, we're, we're adding this year, which we, we, um, we do a little different scoring. So, so basically, we, we look at the events that we have to do. You're not going to not do a club tournament. And then, and then we look for a few specialty ones. And then um, we, when we arrive, or, or really in April before we arrive, we start assigning you know, certain responsibilities. But we, we kind of really dive into the, to the actual nuts and bolts of the events once we get there. But, but for the timeline, we'll have the calendar done by February 15th because that's the way it works at the club. And then they get their information out to the members in March. Okay. And, and I'm, I'm intrigued. So, so do the men's and women's program, same day. No, we, they're the same weekend. Um, same weekend, at least historically, I don't see any reason to change. So we kick it off Friday afternoon or evening with an exhibition. And typically mm -hmm. it's a couple of my younger guys. And um, we usually invite in two, two pros who are also going to play in the pro-am. So the, the members get a little look and that's always a fun evening. That's a Friday evening. And then the next day we do the women's pro-am and they're one day events, at least for gosh, for a long time now, we find that for the most part, the, the members aren't really into the, the two to three day events. And I, I know, and I listened to your interview with Judy Adelaide a while back and you talked mm -hmm. about uh, a member guest that you did, um, or they did at Walkabuck, I guess, years ago. You know, those I love those days, and golf still does it, but it just seems like it's hard to get the commitment. You know, everybody wants to spend the afternoon at the lake, or, you know, they, they've got other commitments. So right. we do the, we do them, but it's also a lot of tennis, because if you're playing tennis um, for three hours in a row, and then a final, it, it's, it, you know, it's it, in the lunch and, and awards, you know, that tends to be... Um, that tends to be the right format these days. So, so yeah, we do the women on Saturday and the men on Sunday. And those typically are the last ones. Those are usually the second week in August. And, um, and then we have a break and then we do our Labor Day events. So um, yeah, the, 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 the programs have been very well received. You know, we, we partner with, with other clubs, to, you know, and it's kind of like, Hey, hey, you know, Len or, or you, Ed, if you were closer, I, I need two pros for my weekend. When do you have in yours? And we make sure that we provide, um, you know, the pros because we normally need at least a dozen men and women pros. I remember the year where Len and I both went down and left one left in an ambulance and one I got taken to the hospital by my parents. But that was some I had you deal with that weekend. You remember that a long time ago? Uh, <laughs> yes, I do. Ed. um uh, yes, and, and for those listening, we had an event and, and uh, Len Samard, who we referenced a couple of times and many people who listen to this in the industry will know Len. Len fell down about halfway through our program and he stayed on the ground. It looks like he sort of slipped and fell, right? So I walked right. out thinking he's just going to brush my, my good friend off. I go, you okay? He looks up at me, he goes, no. And without being too, uh, too graphic, he, he held up his arm, which was not straight. Let's just leave oh. it yeah. So um. I believe it was like a displaced, I'm not sure, but I know he had to have pins. So we had to call the ambulance and we had a, um, you know, a, obviously a big break. And, and Ed and you and some of the other members and, and pros were playing and said, no, no, we'll finish. We'll finish. Yeah. So Ed, if I remember correctly, it was the final and yep. you were court three on the yep. end towards the clubhouse. 
and yep. you served and pushed off and then uh, went straight down into the ground. And straight down the ground. At the time, I think we thought you had torn your calf, if I remember right. correctly. Because I remember you right. iced it and uh, maybe had a beverage and you were feeling uh, like you were at least going to be able to get to, to, to at least make it home. And unfortunately, since then, because you ended up being a torn Achilles, correct? Correct. 100% rupture. And since then, unfortunately, including mine, um, I've had to deal with three, two or three others all on the course. So now I know that thing when someone immediately grabs at their calf or looks down like something had hit them, I'm unfortunately um, uh, aware of, of, of what it's going to be. But yeah, that, and that was the end of that, <laughs> of that day. I remember there was no, there was no uh, uh, salvaging two no. guys. But, I, um, I was I was very disappointed to lose by default to Gordon <laughs> Idolot, you know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't remember who was on the other side. It was Gordon, but, uh, and he felt horrible for me. But it was a great yeah. day, even so. I, I I remember it to this to this day. I do too. <laughs> One other question, uh, following up, you said you're doing a, an event with a different format scoring. What, what explain that if you would? Yeah, or is and it that's a secret? something that we, I've done in my winter job. We 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 did it. Uh, we have done it a couple of times, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it to bring it to Walkabuck. Um, we talked about starting it this summer, then we couldn't do it. And it, it's, it's, it's an idea where, and I'm, I'm sure other people have done it, you know, it's very hard to handicap our, our game. It's not like, mm -hmm. golf, you know, and, and, you know, there's a certain way you can do bisques and free points, which, which is a way to do it. And I've had some success with that. Um, but this is a little different. So as an example, each match is two, and you can pick a number maybe it's 25 to 29 points will win you your round. It's, it's a round. And, mm -hmm. you can, and you can do it a variety of ways. We did it as a mixed doubles event at Albany. Um, and you can have any level you want. So for example, you can have two really good players and they would be a zero. And then you can have two, you know, pretty, pretty B, B minus A, C players. And they would be, maybe a nine or even an 11. And what that means is when you start the match, you say, okay, um, the Shanafees, the Shanafees are, are the good team. They're a zero and the Gilberts are an 11. And each person serves four. So almost like a little like um, round robin ser serving. So uh, right. you would serve four, I would serve four, your partner would serve four and my partner would serve four. And you add each point. But we start out ahead 11-0. So let's say after that first 16 points, because you guys are the better players, you've won 10 and we've won six. So now though, we already had 11. So now we're ahead 17 to 10, et cetera. And right. what it tends to do, when you, I'm smiling if you could see me, because when we do it, you do see the better players immediately complain, number one, because <laughs> oh, how could you give them that many points? You know, and I go, it's, it's because I have so much respect for your game, Ed. Um, they, they also play, they also play um, a little more, a little more carefully, a little nervous, a little nerves kick in. So, but you know, typically we've done it, I've done it a number of times. Typically the better players always find a way to win. But yeah. the last two times I've done it, I've done it. It wasn't a zero team that won. Um, so it's just a way. But we also what we're what we're thinking, and and I'm going to double check with the tennis chair if we want to put it in. But you can do it with anybody can play. It can be mixed doubles. It can be you know two juniors within reason. You know like two 16 or older, and 
you can mix levels up. You're not going to get your club champion probably to play, and you maybe don't want any, you know, very beginner players. But you mm -hmm. can mix in some C pluses with some A's, and it will work out. So that's an example of something that we might try um, this year. And we're also doing one thing I know we're doing. We're doing a, a mixed level uh, women's member guest, and we're doing it on a weekend because a lot of our women's events traditionally have been during the week. So we're trying to make sure that we uh, provide weekend programming uh, as well as during the week. Yeah, we, we changed our, our ladies women's member guest to a weekend and uh, and made it a bigger event. We we you I think at Walker Book you have a based on levels. We we did all one draw. We did a compass draw. So the first match go backwards if you lose if you win you go forwards and east west draws but um it was a great success on the weekend because the, you know there's a change in our demographics since you started at wakabuck isn't there yes sir and, and did that go two days in was that a two day event? that was no we have the same issues harry we we if we're not done by 1 30 i i have chirping in my ear people want to be on their boats in marion people want to be on the beach uh by 2 p.m so we started this year an hour early we started at eight we have clinics moved up on the weekends to seven, six and seven now. And then at eight, we start the tournament and, uh, or tournaments because most Saturdays we have an event and, uh, and basically we try to have them finished by two. If it's, if it's an invitational, like a member guest, it's not club championships. We limit it to maybe 16 teams. So it's an even compass draw. Right. Um, if it's a club championship, which, the singles and the doubles club championships are played throughout the season uh, uh, scheduled by the players themselves, but the mixed and the ladies and I'm sorry, now this year, the ladies and men's doubles and the mixed doubles were all in one day. And again, we tried to finish it by 2 PM. I remember when I was a kid at Wacabuck, you know, those were two day events. We'd have, you know, you play two out of three sets, your first couple matches, and then you come back Sunday morning for your semis and Sunday right. afternoon for your finals. But those, those days, as, as Judy and I mentioned, uh, across the country are gone, I think, that we have to be done by two. It seems like it. And what we do for our club tournament, which we had, again, this year, we had our biggest participation ever, is they play the early rounds on their own. Um, mm -hmm. And then, but we, we, don't do, when you, we don't do it over the season. We, we started about three weeks before we put the draws up. So we want at least it to have, um, you know, th there'd be a good feel that, you know, the tournament is now going on. And then those matches are two out of three sets, um, play the third set out, no breaker. And then we do the singles finals on a Saturday and the doubles finals. And we chair, we chair you know, one match, mm -hmm. the three have scoreboards and all. And we get a few people out to watch. It's, it's, so it feels like the traditional club championship finals. It's a, you didn't have to play you know, two and a half days to get there. You <laughs> play in this, this year, quite frankly, it was the 32 draw. So. You had to win four matches to get to it, but you could play those over the course of three weeks. That's a big draw for singles or for doubles? Uh, for singles. But now there was, a few, there was a few buys. It was probably 20, low 20s, you know, but it was a 32 draw. That's a great draw. this you're a former president of our USBTA uh, and for those who don't know the USBTA it's the United States Professional Tennis Association and it's our one of our governing bodies uh, in the industry helping with education and certification of tennis pros and instructors as a former president 
you were, you know, you volunteered for, for years beforehand, but as a past president, what were the challenges you faced as the president? And then what do you think is facing the USBTA now? Wow. We could do like two podcasts on that. I, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. That's a deep so, question. So as a, as a um, reference, I was, um, yes, I worked my way through the Florida division, was the president there, got on the board, uh, national board. I think I was on it for maybe 10 years and then became president, which was about eight or nine years ago. So, um, so I was the president and at the time, so, so one of the challenges that I, in my term, you have a two year term as president, I recognized, and, and this will also be the challenge now, that our industry is aging. You know, a lot of us became, got into tennis back in the tennis boom, you know? Mm -hmm. And 10, 12 years ago, I, I think I stood in the executive committee. We have two members from every division as well as the national board. So, and I, I challenged them to look around the room because we all were, you know, relatively speaking, 40, 40 mid 40s and, and somewhat slightly older, mid 40s, maybe to mid 50s. We, there wasn't a very diverse group. And by, by typical gender, gender and, and, and race, but also by age. So I felt we had to do, we had to become more, we, we needed to become more relevant to get younger people into the, into the business. Um, and I felt that, you know, if, if tennis and therefore the USPTA was also going to continue to expand and, and be relevant and, and, you know, we needed to, to, you know, become more diverse. And I think they've done a good job. Uh, uh, you know, we, that's something that's going to have to happen over time. You know, but but I do believe that the organization is working towards. I know they have a new uh, under thirty initiative, and mm -hmm. they've gotten um, they've gotten good traction with younger members going out and attracting other members. I know they have a diversity and inclusion uh, committee and and um, initiatives. So I, I'm I'm hopeful that because to answer the follow up question, I believe the challenges are still are still the same within the. Okay. Um, because, and, and you, you actually didn't come straight to tennis. You took a, 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 a different career path and then, and then came into tennis. But, you know, a lot of us who played, you know, played tennis and tried to compete probably with some vision of, of becoming, you know, great players. And most of us became good players and then play, played in college. And then in our, and, and I don't want to date myself too much, but I think people probably know, or, or you know, in the late seventies and eighties is when, um, you know, a lot of my peer group, we, we finished playing college tennis, you know, becoming a tennis pro was, was a sort of a natural career path for a lot of us. Um, we loved the game, you know, someone like myself, as I mentioned earlier, I, I really feel I communicate well and, and love working with people. So I jokingly say I get to play a sport and wear, wear short pants. What, what, you know, <laughs> what, could be, what could be better than that, you know? But um, I don't think, and, and when I talk to some of my students, I started doing this, you know, just randomly, maybe even 15 years ago, I'd say, hey, um, you know, Ed, so pretending it was you. Hey, Ed, what, you know, I know you're going to college next year. What do you think about being a teaching pro when you come out? Do you think you or, or some of your, your peers, your doubles partner? And they, they all said no. And I mm -hmm. think that they thought, A, it wasn't a quick enough. There wasn't a, a, a path that, that was, was quick enough for them. Um, and also, I just think that right now it's not as considered. It's not considered to be, I don't know, such a natural um, profession as it was, I think, for a lot of my peers. 
So I think that tennis teaching in general, I know the USTA is, is spending a lot of time and energy trying to um, help tennis pros deliver the game and um, become more educated because they see us as the growth of the game. And I agree with that. But I also think that we need to, um, or the sport does, it needs to, to make teaching tennis and working in the industry an attractive career, quite frankly. Um, so I would say, so to answer my question, I, to answer your question, I would say the challenge is that I, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, week in and week out challenges, you know, mm -hmm. but it all comes down to, you know, is the association fulfilling the needs of its members? And are we looking out for the interest of the association in 10 to 15 years? And I'm not certain that, um, the numbers will be the same in even 10 more years because all of us baby boomers are in the last, um, whatever, the last quarter of the game as far right. as working in the industry. So I think it'll be interesting to see if there will be youthful uh, coaches and professionals coming in behind us to fill those ranks. That's the challenge. And that goes back to where you were talking about, you know, finding Angie and me finding Hannah and mentoring them and, that that all part of it. The the USPTA, as as you know, is, is this year offering free. Well, the USDA has backed the free dues. And and before I go on to that, just for anyone who's under thirty, if you want to get involved, and the under thirty initiative is 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 fantastic with the USPTA. And 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 write to me or call me. Jason Gilbert is a wonderful guy. He he started it, and he's still very connected with USPTA. Um, so just reach out to us, and we'll get you in touch with those people. But do you think that? it will be one body at some point. I mean, we have so many different governing bodies. We have the PTR as well as the USPTA, you know, the USTA. Is that hurting, do you think, having those three different governing bodies? And You know, that, that's a great question, Ed. And, and everyone on here who knows us will, will, will kind of be smiling right now because we've talked about that. I, I personally have always thought that it, it should, there should be a way to get it together. You know, Dennis Vandermeer, you know, did a great, great job with the PTR and the USPTA led by Tim Heckler, who, who put 25 to 30 years in it. And, they, and, the, and the two leaders, and those were the, the CEO leaders, and then each organization, of course, has their volunteer structure of us. We all worked, we, we competed uh, for memberships, quite frankly, but we all were friends. There were a lot of members that were members. There are a lot of members that are members of both. But it just seems silly that we couldn't find a way to become one organization. And I do know there were talks a couple of years. I was involved on my as I was leaving my presidency. I think the USTA. I, I don't want to you know speak for them, but I think they they. I think everyone in the industry can see the benefit of having one coaches association. But they do service um, you know slightly different audiences. Um, and maybe maybe that's an okay thing. Uh, and the what, 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 how do we, how would you delineate the audiences? Because that I, I I can't delineate those audiences, but maybe you could do it better than I. Well, could. I mean, the, the one thing about the PTR is the PTR is is, is more international, and that okay. that's, they have they they have a true international membership with um with memberships. You know, I, I don't know their numbers, but I do know that. And, and, and the USPTA has. Um, and that's where the PTR, I guess, and I don't, I can't speak to this for sure, but what are not are, are just the PTR now, you know? They are. They're just PTR. Yep. And I, I, you know, I, I just think that that, and other people will tell you their opinion of what's different. I, I, I don't know that those opinions are more than that. So 
And I have enough friends who are members of both to know that there's certainly value to both. But I think the USTA as our governing body would rather there be one teaching pro organization that works um, under or with, not under, but with the USTA. But you know, both organizations are also um, businesses, you know, they, they provide jobs for their CEOs, they provide jobs for their staffs, and they, they, um, they're both relevant in the industry. So it's a tough question. It's one that, I, that people started talking about when I first got in the business, you know, 40 years ago, and we're still talking about it. But I do think, you know, other, other federations, you know, if you want to be a coach, uh, a tennis pro or a tennis coach uh, in Canada, it's under the umbrella of the, you know, the, the Canadian Tennis Federation. There's not a, a competing or, or certainly not two competing organizations. But both are providing great education. Both are, 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 are working hard. So, um, you know, I, I still, but again, the answer in my, my opinion is we would be better off if there was a way to have one uh, teaching pro association. I was trying to remember the first time I ever heard your name and it came to me. I, my folks had a, a vacation home down in South Florida and your name came up with a tournament that you had run up in Northern Florida. I don't know if it was, at, it was at before Hammock Pond, I think, but it was called like the Harry Gilbert special tournament. I can't remember, like bowl or something, but <laughs> you, I know you had it going for many, many years. Is that something that directors of tennis should be looking at depending on if their club would allow it? And, and, and why did you start it and how did it turn out? That's great. Isn't it? Yes. And I, I ran USTA tournaments for probably 38, 37 years from when I was a young pro. My first job was at Oceanside Country Club in Ormond Beach. And I started that. You applied for a sanction from the FTA back then, the Florida Tennis Association. And now it's, of course, USTA, Florida section. And then I went to another racket club called the Trails Racket Club. And then I started um, at Plantation Bay, where I was there for years. And that's probably where you heard it. And then I went to Hammock Beach, which is a resort. And then I continued to run them until I took my winter job in the Bahamas. And when I took that job, I just wasn't able to fly back to do them. But I did them for years at the clubs I worked at. And then maybe for the last uh, 15 years, I partnered with the Florida Tennis Center, which has 24 clay courts, great venue to run a tournament in Daytona Beach. And I also did a few at uh, Hillsborough Community College Tennis Complex uh, by Tampa. And I was lucky enough to you know, work hard and, and do a good job. So the, the Florida section awarded me some of the bigger ones, including like level threes, which um, have 256 players and, you know, that's determined by ranking and that even has national points. So with those events, I um, did some name them. I put my name on them because they were, they were, you know, I was trying to have some continuity, you know? So, so the ones that I ran at the Florida tennis center typically were like the Harry, Harry Gilbert super series or the Harry Gilbert Easter open. Those were a couple. Um, yeah. That was it. The Harry Gilbert Easter open. Harry Gilbert. That's why I got confused with Easter Bowl. And then when the section started naming them like L3s instead of designated, I just did that too. But I, I love that. And, and I was just talking to someone a while back, um, a, another tennis colleague, just actually like this week, because I, missed, I do miss the relationships. I can tell you there's probably, oh gosh, hundreds of parents from 
Jacksonville, Orlando, all through Central Florida, and then farther away, Tallahassee, down to probably Fort Lauderdale, Miami, who I got to know and watch their children, you know, come through and play two or three of my events a year. And if they had two or three kids, I'd see these same parents for 10 or 12 years. I'd, I'd, I'd know where their kids went to college and I would, um, you know, follow them if they played in school, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it, it was really good. And yes, I think that I, I do think that that landscape has changed some, even in the last, um, you know, eight to 10 years with UTRs coming into to, to play. And now now there's a little different um, tournament schedule, uh, excuse me, I, ITFs I meant, but, but with the UTR rating system where you get points for each, uh, you, you get credit and points for, the, for each match you play uh, and it, it adjusts your UTR. So, so those tournaments were fun for me. They were an ability to make money and they allowed me to be entrepreneurial. You know, I'd work hard to get sponsors and, and, and build relationships with certain companies that helped out. So I think in the right environment, if, you, if you're working at a racket club that also would like traffic, that's selling mm -hmm. memberships, you know, uh, it, it mm -hmm. brings traffic to the facilities, you and whatever the relationship is with you and the club, you and the club can make money. And it, it is a labor of love though, because those are long, long days. <laughs> but right. You know, and if you're working with your own students, back then I was a little bit of, of uh, high performance coaching as well. Uh, it's a great, nothing better than watching you know, your own students play under pressure and you're right there. You don't have to travel with them. You know, you're running the event. Yeah, I did that for, a number, gosh, like I said, for 35, 38 years. Loved it, miss it a little bit, but uh, it was time to let them go when I wasn't, you know, I didn't do them in New York. I only did them, of course, in Florida. And then when yep. I was not in Florida anymore. No, I, I, I remember that uh, as I was trying to remember when I first heard your name, Harry Gilbert's Easter Bowl. Um, I have a, Easter Open, not the Easter, Easter Bowl. Open. Easter, Easter Bowl Open. National. Yeah. <laughs> Easter Open. I have, I have two more questions for you. One is, is, is based on, uh, and I'm going to throw you a curveball here. It's not one we, we talked about, um, but I remember coming up to Wacabuck. Uh, I, I, I think I was playing uh, at grad school. And, and it was one of your first years there. And I was having trouble with my slice backhand. I came to you and, and it was really the return of serve. And you said something wise to me that I've never forgotten. You said, Ed, you know, you're going for too much on your slice. You, you really a return of service to negate the advantage of the server. And I use that to this day in my lessons. You told me that. And it made me a better singles player for sure, because the return of serve is is basically, as you watch Federer, he just puts it back down the middle of the court and gets into the point. Um, but what do you think is your biggest asset when you're on court? Is it your playing experience? What is it your stroke methodology? Is it how you treat and, and work with people one-on-one? -on -one? What do you think are the qualities that made you so great at what you do? Well, thanks for that, Ed. And it's funny, when you mentioned earlier about having a lesson, I totally remembered it was the backhand. But I yep. couldn't remember what, what uh, we, but now that you say that, I do remember some of it, right? You would be a little too aggressive, I remember. <laughs> yeah. But to, to answer your question, and that's a good one. It is, it, it wasn't on your little, what you told me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's cool. Uh, I, I, that, I believe that what I think I'm good at is recognizing what I can do to help a student 
if they're only going to take one or two lessons. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. if, if you have a junior and you, you know you're going to have um, time with them and you're going to mold them, then, you know, you can really start and, and take it through the progressions. But if you get uh, a player, you know, who, who maybe, particularly if you're at a resort, which I've, I've done some uh, in this part of my latter part of my career, you, you have to make, and they tell you something like you maybe specifically said, I'm not, I'm not getting enough returns in play. I think I'm pretty good um, at able to recognize a couple of things that will help them get better in, in that period of time and give them something to work on on their own. You know, um, mm-hmm. I, I love being out there. I'm, I'm not on the court as much as I used to be, but I'm certainly happy to be. Um, going back to the staffing, I've, I've, I think you mentioned with Angie, and all my pros are arguably as popular as I am, you know, <laughs> and that's, and that's, um, and that's, great. that's a good thing. That's a good thing as we get really, older, Harry. Yes. I, I don't have any problem with that. In fact, I consider that to be, I'm not threatened by their success at all. And, and I'm happy for them. And um, we do share ideas, but, but to answer that question, I think it's probably that I'm able to, based on my experience, diagnose um, a, a, a tip or a correction that will help the, the student, you know, get closer to what they ask me for, you know, like, like and, and it's, it's helpful if someone says, I'm, I'm not able to keep, you know, a high forehand in play. And we can talk about what part of the balance they're playing it on, you know, their grip, whatever. But, but I, I do think it's my experience and my ability to not overcoach too. And, you know, you see that a lot. And it's funny, I, I'm, I have, I have some time now. I'm, I'm living um, in Virginia for the winter near my mm-hmm. daughter, renting a place. And um, I've gone to a couple of tennis clubs. One of my former students is the director of tennis at a club here. And I mentioned to her, we could come say hi. And I go, when are you on the court? And she told me, I go, I'm going to come watch. She's, what are you, what are you, what are you kidding? And I go, no, no. I go, I'd like to watch you teach because I think we can all learn from watching each other. And I think she, you know, she was, I don't know if she was a little, you know, cause I coached her, she was a good player. I coached her when she was younger and she played college tennis and now is a great pro. Um, was just uh, put in the middle stage USPTA hall of fame actually. But I watched her coach for like 30 minutes and I was impressed. And uh, so, so that, to answer that question, that's, that's what I believe I'm able to do is, you know, find one or two things that I think will help the student with what they're trying to, to get to particularly if they're not saying, hey, I'm going to take a lesson a week all summer because right. then you have more time. The final question is, is an interesting one. It's more uh, less about tennis and more about life, I guess. Uh, you've been teaching out in the islands at the Albany Resort. Um, COVID's changed all that. And, and I'm wondering how you think resorts in general, maybe island resorts, but other destinations – how will they fare after COVID? Do you think they'll come back to where they were? That's an interesting question. And I think that's by region, um, at least somewhat, because I know, I know like you and I last summer, some of the resorts were really busy in the summer, uh, mm-hmm. the, at least their tennis program. I don't actually know the, the, the hospitality and, and resort side as much because I know that there's certain, you know, certain people that just aren't comfortable checking into a resort right now, you know, right. interacting with the front desk staff and this and that. You know, Albany is, is a pretty uh, uh, specific place where, um, 
it's all oh, it, it's a resort, but you you you're staying in someone's private home. It's all member owned. So, mm -hmm. and you know, in the spring, as I left last year, I was very busy with with people who chose sort of to ride out the quarantine there. Summer is the off season, anyways, and then their winter isn't going to be what it what it normally would have been. And so, um, I I'm not back there this year, and and you know, I was this would be my last year anyway. So basically, I'm. I'm not going to be returning, but I, I loved my time there because it was a, a very unique experience. And I know their bookings won't be the same this year because mm -hmm. I just don't think your, your, your customer from the Northeast is necessarily going to be comfortable dealing with airports and dealing with, with the other things that go along. But I do think the tennis programming at resorts won't be affected as much as the dining, say, or the spa, certainly, which is which are, are really struggling because the whole nature of a spa experience and massage, et cetera, is no yeah. social distancing. So I, I that's a good question. I didn't see I didn't see that one uh, coming. <laughs> I always like to throw in a couple of ones. No, that's because I, ha I hadn't given that much thought from the resort side in general, even though I'm certainly friends with a lot of, of men and women on the resort side. I would say that the winter season, it, which for a lot of Caribbean resorts, is again affected. But I bet um, with the vaccine and all the good news that all of us just in our lives are, are hopeful for, that by, by the summer, if you're a summer type resort, you know, which might be right. the North Carolina mountains, et cetera, et cetera, um, it'll be back to, to pretty close. Because I'll tell you one thing, as someone who loves to travel myself, I think most of us are dying to do something different <laughs> as, as soon as we can. So, um, but I do think that the on-court portion of if, if the resorts, um, you know, have a membership component like I had at Hammock Beach and my head, mm -hmm. the head pro followed me into the director role, I know he's busy. Um, I don't know that the resort, I don't know that the occupancy is where they want it, but his members are playing as much or more than, than before because they're not traveling. And right. I think the resort's getting some, some numbers. But, you know, a lot of resorts re re rely on groups and, and, you know, convention business. And, of course, all that is, is um, definitely not happening. Well, to sum up, uh, one of my favorite directors and mentors said to me, hey, Ed, you know, when you get a long-term job, uh, you grew up with your families, you grew up with your members, you grew up with their kids. Well, I grew up with you. And so I see it from that side. And uh, thank you so much for being here, Harry. It's been great to chat. And it's a real pleasure. I really enjoyed the time. It's always good to talk to you. Stay well and happy new year, my friend. Thank you so much for listening this week. We really appreciate it. I just want to let everyone know that our introductory music is by Ed Shanafy Sr. and his amazing trio. And all the chapter breaks is original music by my daughter, Olivia Shanafy. We hope to hear more from them as we continue this podcast through 2021. And we hope to see more of you as well. Thanks for listening. pleasure bringing you each week's news and views and great guests from our tennis, fitness, and country club industries. You can always reach the team here at beyondthebaselines at gmail.com or on the phone at 508-538-1288. Please do visit our website at www.beyondthebaselines.com. 
which is updated regularly with even more information for you, your club, or your facility. See you again soon.